Part 9, Endings and Beginnings, Chapter 33. Tomorrow would be the end of everything. Tomorrow, a smug and overly friendly real estate agent would plant his large for-sale sign in front of Willow Valley Bible Church. Michael walked home from school, purposely sloshing through the puddles instead of stepping around them. As though trying to match his mood, black clouds scudded across the sky overhead, and the trees in the valley thrashed in the fitful wind. Over the past three weeks, the members of the Willow Valley Club had tried everything they could think of to get to the treasure, all to no avail. They had drudged up even more junk from the bottom of the pond, breaking the handle of Pastor Thomas's best garden rake, too, in the process. And now it was too late. Michael turned into his driveway. Leaving his backpack on the covered porch, he went around to the back of the house instead of going inside. For several long minutes, he stood at the top of the path that led down to the pond. Between the restless branches of trees, he caught glimpses of the stake in the pond. The red flag waving defiantly in the wind, as if to say, Ha ha! The treasure is here, but you can't get it. Michael shoved his hands into his pockets. Ignoring the rain in his face, he strode angrily back around the house. It felt as though nothing mattered anymore. That evening, Pastor Thomas left the radio on in the kitchen. As the family prepared for bed, they listened to the warnings about severe storms headed their way. Normally, this would worry Michael, but tonight he was too angry and discouraged to be afraid. Across the valley, Buddy, Terrence, Heidi, and Emily sifted through their own gloomy thoughts as they each lay in their beds, listening to the wind straining through the trees. Tomorrow would be the end of everything. At last, Michael drifted into a restless dark sleep filled with heaviness and dread. Sometime during the night, his father woke him up. We need to go to the basement, Pastor Thomas told him. The storm is getting pretty bad. Bring your blanket and pillow with you. You can sleep down there. With his blanket trailing behind him, Michael followed his father down the steep wooden stairs into the low-ceilinged basement under their house. Mrs. Thomas sat in a lawn chair wearing her thick white bathrobe. Michael's other older brother, Sam, was stretched out on a sleeping bag, already asleep. Even their golden retriever Bobo was there, his chin resting on his paws. His eyes tracked the activity going on around him, and his feathery tail thumped against the concrete floor as Michael arrived. Michael's mother unrolled another sleeping bag and helped him arrange his blanket next to Sam. Pastor Thomas cranked two of the basement windows open to allow fresh air into the musty closed space. The weather radio Pastor Thomas kept for emergencies was spitting out storm reports between periods of static. Are there tornadoes? Michael wanted to know. No, answered his mother, but it's always good to be on the safe side. Down here, the sounds of the storm were muffled, and Michael felt safe. He scrunched his blanket against his chest and fell back to sleep almost immediately. In the morning, Michael woke up in his own bed with no memory of how he got there. Had the trip to the basement been a dream? Sunshine flooded his room, made brighter by the drops of water that clung to the screen from the rain of the night. It was Saturday, the day the property of Willow Valley Bible Church would be up for sale. 
Michael went to the window and pushed it open. Leaning on the windowsill, he gazed out over the valley, breathing in the fresh morning air. He wondered what it would feel like to wake up in a strange house, without the grand beauty of Willow Valley within view of his bedroom window. At breakfast, his parents were unusually quiet. Michael knew his parents also carried the burden of uncertainty about what was to come for their family and for their church. "'Today would be a great day to go fishing,' his father told him, patting his shoulder as he left the breakfast table. "'I'd join you if I didn't have such a busy day.' After breakfast, Michael did his chores and then gathered his fishing gear. If he spent the day down by the pond, he wouldn't have to be around when the real estate agent arrived to post the dreaded signs in front of the church and in front of his house. "'You stay,' Michael told Bobo, who was waiting eagerly by the back door. "'You'll scare the fish away.' Besides, today he just wanted to be alone. Michael walked slowly down the path with his fishing pole leaning lightly on his shoulder and his tackle box in his hand. He stepped carefully to avoid the storm debris that littered the path. From high atop the branches of nearby trees came a clear, bright bird song. Michael squinted against the light and finally spotted the intense blue of an indigo bunting. From somewhere through the trees, the wild cry of a pelated woodpecker made the valley sound like an exotic jungle. As he faced the bleak prospect of having to move, Michael realized he had taken for granted all the simple pleasures and advantages of living at the edge of such a beautiful place. He felt sad all the way to the core of his being. As the path neared the bottom of the valley, it turned and led through a dark tunnel of mountain laurel just starting to bloom. When Michael emerged on the other side, the floor of the valley opened before him, with its pillars of dark tree trunks, open glades of waving, waving grass and wildflowers, rushing stone-strewn stream, and beyond the willow trees, the pond covered with small ruffles of sparkling waves in the fresh after-storm breeze. Michael took three steps towards the pond, and then stopped dead in his tracks. Something was drastically different about Willow Valley. Something that would change everything. Chapter 34 Michael left his fishing gear next to the bush where he stopped and galloped back up the path to his house. Gasping for breath, he pushed through the back door and lunged for the phone. Buddy! Buddy, you're not going to believe what happened! Who is this? Is that you, Michael? Are you okay? Slow down and take a breath. What are you trying to say? Michael closed his eyes and took a long, deep breath. Then he tried again. Buddy, I was just down in Willow Valley to go fishing. And, well, you know that big storm we had last night? Yes, replied Buddy. Well, you know that huge pine tree? The really big one next to the pond? Okay, yeah, said Buddy impatiently. Michael gulped. Well, I was walking toward the pond and I saw something strange. A weird clump of something next to the stream. And everything looked different. Then I realized the big, clump, the big clump was actually the roots of that pine tree. Really? said Buddy in disbelief. It fell down? The wind pulled it right out of the ground, Michael told him. It's lying across the stream, right on top of the pond. Wow, said Buddy. I want to see that. Give me a few minutes and I'll meet you down there. Did you tell Terrence? Not yet, answered Michael. You call him and I'm going to call the girls. 
As Michael was hanging up from talking to Emily, he heard the doorbell ring. He tiptoed to the living room and peeked through the curtains to see who was at the door. A short, bald man stood on the porch with a briefcase in his hand. Michael saw him looking all around, at the ceiling of the porch, at the boards under his feet, at the flower beds, flower beds next to the steps. Michael saw a shiny black car in the driveway with its trunk lid open. Inside the trunk were two large signs that said, For Sale. The doorbell rang again. Ignoring it, Michael escaped through the kitchen, letting the screen door slam loudly behind him. He grabbed a shovel that leaned against the back of the house just in case, and strode quickly down the path into Willow Valley. Betty, Buddy and Terence were already there, looking unusually small as he stood next to the mass of roots that towered above their heads. It's incredible, said Terence. Buddy hoisted himself up onto the fallen trunk and stood on top of it. Just then, Heidi and Emily arrived, out of breath from running. When they saw the huge tree lying across the bottom of the valley, they stopped and stared. Oh, wow, said Emily, finally. She came closer and reached out to touch the rough bark of the tree. It's a sad shame, she said. Think how long this tree has been there. I'm surprised we didn't feel it fall, commented Heidi. It must have shaken the ground like an earthquake. Hey, look over here, called Buddy. He pointed down toward the stream. The tree is stopping up the stream. If it stays where it is, we'll have another pond on this side. The children immediately saw that Buddy was right. Water was flooding out of the stream, creating a pool that already nearly covered the long grass and wildflowers that grew alongside it. Even as the children watched, they could see the level of the water was rising quickly. This is great, laughed Emily. She and Heidi pulled off their shoes to splash in the newly formed pond. Buddy jumped down from the tree to join them. Hmm, said Terence as he stood next to Michael. He frowned and thought. So if water is stopped up on this side, what is occurring on the other side? He and Michael walked around the mass of ancient roots to see. Where the stream had once flowed along lively and full, there was now just a trickle of water, leaving stones and mud exposed to the sunlight. Terence turned and headed toward the willow trees, walking faster the closer he got. Michael followed, jogging to keep up. As the will At the willow trees, they stopped. The pond was shrinking. Without the stream to feed it, the water was flowing out to the other end without any fresh water coming in to keep it full. Michael kicked his shoes off and walked straight into the water. When he reached the stake, the water was barely to his knees. Suddenly, a glimmer of hope stirred in his heart. Maybe, just maybe, bring me my shovel, he shouted to Terence. It's over by the pine tree. Soon Terence returned with the shovel. Buddy and the girls followed him. Even in that short time, the level of the pond had fallen even more. Muddy Michael plunged the shovel into the water next to the stake. A loud clang sounded as it hit a hard object under the water. It's that rock, said Terence, remembering an underwater stone they had stubbed their toes on when they had been looking for the treasure before. Michael bent to look. He could see the smooth top of the stone under the shallow water. 
Well, look at that, he breathed. He looked up at his friends and grinned. There's an X carved on the stone, he told them. Excitement building in his voice. X marks the spot. It's here, shrieked Emily. I knew it. Heidi grabbed Emily's hands and jumped up and down, not caring that she was splashing water and mud everywhere. Working together, Buddy and Michael managed to lift the stone from its place and carry it to the edge of the shrinking pond. I left my shovel and bucket under the boat, said Buddy. Soon the two of them were digging away in the spot where the stone had been, flinging shovels filled with mud over their shoulders. Now the water was nearly gone, leaving behind a thick, messy layer of soft mud. We don't have much time, Terence shouted to them. They looked up and saw that Terence was standing on the trunk of the fallen pine tree. The water is rising quickly over here, he told them. Once it reaches the top, it will spill over like a waterfall and fill the pond back up in no time. How much time do you think we have, shouted Michael. Terence looked down for a moment and then turned back toward them. No more than a couple hours, he hollered. Maybe not even that long. Michael and Buddy looked at each other, their expressions suddenly very serious. It's now or never, said Michael, setting his jaw. We can do this, Buddy replied, looking Michael straight in the eye. Without another word, the two set to work, digging harder and faster than they had ever done before.